new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. We always appreciate your support and listening to the podcast. I know it means a lot to us uh, as uh, people running the, the show, but also I know it means a lot to the people who are coming on and, and taking time to share about their journey through life and loss. So today uh, you you have me going solo and I'm your host, Joshua Black, the one doing the Grief Dreams research. Sean and Jade can't be with us today, um, so I'm going solo. So hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Today we have Jan Warner, and she used her master's in counseling degree and her training in NLP and hypnotherapy while working in child abuse prevention and suicide prevention. When her beloved husband, Artie, died, nine years she felt as though she had died too. She decided to honor his memory by making him available to grieving people the way he, as a recovering alcoholic, had made himself available to alcoholics and addicts. She decided to give her life meaning if only she reached one person. Now she has a Facebook group, Grief Speaks Out, that is a supportive worldwide community with over 2.5 million likes. She is the author of the new book, Grief Day by Day, Simple Practices and Daily Guidance for Living with Loss. She also has produced documentary films and an off-way Broadway play. All right, Jan, thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. So reading your bio, your uh, your husband seems like a remarkable individual. So I want to talk about him a little bit first. I know we, we will talk about you <laughs> and your journey. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know, like, where did you meet him? Oh, that's actually an interesting story. I owned a bookstore in Phoenix, Arizona called The Turning Page. And he walked in and there was this kind of electricity and I told everybody I met somebody today he asked for my business card and a month later he called me and this was so long ago the phones were like attached to the wall (laughs) and I recognized his voice and I told him I did and he was suspicious but that's how I met him he just walked into my bookstore and um we started dating and 10 years later we got married because I used to call him the poster boy for men who can't commit. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. That's cute. You met at, you know, while you're working. That's interesting. Was yeah. he, was he trying to pick you up when he asked for your business card? I don't know. He said that he always knew that we would end up together, but he'd been married a lot and he didn't want to fail again. So I think he was reluctant. I think the fact that he liked me a lot was more frightening than it was comforting. (laughs) So that's why it took us so long to finally get to the point where he felt like marriage would be a good thing. And when we did get married, even though people have made us into a great romance, and we were, but we also fought a lot, et cetera, and so forth. But we got married at a point when he felt like, he could commit to a marriage and he said he felt like it was the first real marriage he had and it was my first marriage we both had like really crazy lives and um crazy parents etc and so forth so i was the only person that ever really took care of him and he was the only person that had ever really taken care of me in our lives Aww, (laughs) that's cute cute. (laughs) um and so since he had so many failed i guess marriages or marriages that broke up was that due to his alcoholism at the time it's gonna sound like a funny answer the first three were when he was a drunk he was a real drunk in the sense 
I apologize to people. Everybody that has a, a drinking or addiction problem should be treated seriously. But he was a drunk to the point where he was homeless and at 31 years of age. I didn't know him at that point. His um, doctor told his sister to make funeral arrangements. So he basically got scared sober. And then Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been told it's okay to break somebody's sobriety, uh, sorry, to break somebody's anonymity when they're dead. So it's okay that I'm talking about him being an alcoholic. That was the core of who he was, was to help other alcoholics and addicts because he considered himself one of the miracles that he could go from being a homeless drunk who missed whiskey every day of his life to somebody who lived a sober life and who died sober. Wow. That is an amazing journey because I know the struggle that people go through. And did you meet him while he was um, basically decided to recover or was it um, a bit prior? He was already well into recovery. He was not interested. I asked him once, I said, when you were homeless, did you look around and think, why do other people have homes and I don't? And he said, no, I was just thinking, where would I get my next drink? So he couldn't have had a relationship that succeeded when he was an addict. And addiction kills. I think that's really important for people to know that addiction isn't something that people do to themselves. It's a a very terrible disease. And it's horrible to love somebody that um, can't recover. Yeah, that's 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 so tough because you're you're being pulled in a couple of different directions. You want to um, cause less stress for yourself, but you also love this person who's going through so so much. Um, but you said like it's it's definitely something that it's easier to say to you know to someone you know just do this or just go here, but it's a very difficult path to walk. And it's I always find it amazing when people can get the courage at some point in life to face some of those deep attachments or uh, addictions and and go a different way and to try something new i think that's remarkable that he was able to do that before he died yeah i think it was remarkable um i think that he wouldn't give himself credit he'd give it to the pro to alcoholics anonymous when i first met him he was very clear that i was fourth that there was god alcoholics anonymous and himself and then me and i accepted that because it was true as long as he stayed sober, then we could have a loving relationship. If he ever started drinking again, he wouldn't be able to function at all as a human being. Somebody I know actually asked him when he was dying if he wanted a bottle of whiskey, and he said no. And it was interesting because it never occurred to me to ask him that because I knew that instead of alcohol, sobriety had become a central part of his life. Wow, that's amazing. And it also gives, probably gave him a lot of hope that he could change, right? Like this was something that he, I think, took into his identity. Like, look what, I, look what I've done. Because it was something, you know, when you struggle with something so long, it's like school for me. You know, soon it's going to be like, look what I've done. Right. Um, but for like just facing addiction, that it's its own school to be able to get through that. And then on your deathbed to still not want it, man, like he, whatever he did worked. Not want it want it but decide not to do it mm-hmm. but the damage i think a lot of us who feel damaged it really was the last two weeks he died of cancer and he was home his hospital bed was in the middle of the living room and the front door was unlocked and people could just come in and out because i was crazy and i couldn't handle like 
can I come over at three? It was like, <laughs> no, just walk in. Right. So many people came by to say, thank you for helping me stay sober. Thank you for working with me. Thank you for loving me that he finally got that he had done some good in the world because he felt a lot of guilt for things that he had done while he was drinking. But you can't really, you can show somebody a path. I feel that way about grief too. You can show somebody a path and share your own experience, but you can't fix somebody else. I Sometimes people thank me for what I do and I just post things. I just write things. You're the one that picks up the tools and figures out how to use them. Yeah. And that's the same thing I would say about Alcohol Anonymous too. Like they're there, but you got to walk in and you got to continue to to go. Like it's your journey. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, he would see it the opposite way around, right? Um, with the Alcohol Anonymous. Right. And that's how, I was just going to say, and that's how my whole thing started was that after he died, because he was older than I was, I thought I'd feel sad. I thought I'd just be grieving and then I'd go on. But I felt like my life was totally over. I thought about killing myself. I didn't know what to do. And then after some of the chaos led up in my head, I thought if he made himself available to addicts and alcoholics, I can honor him by making myself available to grieving people. So a lot of what I do is based on continuing his teaching and what I learned from him about how to be available to people in a similar situation. That's amazing. And as you said, like it's, it was really probably a sight to see with people coming to see him that, uh, to see him that he helped, you know, like we don't really know, you know, who we impacted until like you sort of see the line, you know, like, and you're like, wow. And it like, it really kind of takes you your breath away. And so did, did that happen for you? Like, did you get a chance to talk to some of these people to see how he helped them? Or did you listen in on some of the conversations? I I always knew that um, I just called his dying time the last two weeks. I wanted him to have privacy because he was a private person with people. So I often was upstairs, but I always told him that he had done good in the world. He had done well in the world and a lot of people loved him. He just had one of his things was, I won't give up failure without a fight. He just had a hard time understanding it. Like, I remember getting, trying to get the first person on Grief Speaks Out. And the fact that I have 2.4 million likes and I reach sometimes as many as 500,000 people a week, I can't really absorb that. It's sort of, I know about it, it's over to the side of me. But the line sometimes is hard to just accept that it's actually me that's able to help people. Yeah. It, it's it's so true. And, you know, I think, as you said, right, like just it gave you comfort to, to know who he was and to take that kind of strength into your own life, like embody that to help others, even though you're still grieving at the time, guessing when you decided to make the, the Facebook page, right? Still always grieving. I, yeah. I grieve every day. But yes, I, I, I do. I choose to believe that the people that we love who die are around us and with us. Some people believe that completely. Some people don't believe it at all. It helps me to function. I still want to make him proud. I still want him to look down and go or up or whichever (laughs) way he's looking and go, Hey, good job. So I, and, and I did learn a lot from him because this was his life. So he would talk about his own feelings about addiction 
and also things that happened in meetings and program. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, a that's lot, a lot, a lot to learn from. Yeah, and so let's talk about the Facebook page a little bit. What have you learned by doing this rather than, like, yeah, you have 2.5 million, so people are seeking. But what else have you learned from from the Bereave just by like doing the running the page? I think the main thing is that people need to be acknowledged, not fixed. When somebody says, my husband died or my sister died or my mother died or fill in all the blanks, they want you to listen. They want you to say their name, to say it's going to get better, might not be true, to say they would want you to be happy, doesn't fit, to say they're in a better place. A common response to that is, well, yeah, good for them, but what about me? So the main learning is that grief is like a wild bull ride you just don't know how it's going to hit you and in what way and you're not crazy you're not stuck you're not not moving on you're grieving the other thing i would say is just how sad it is my husband was lucky he had a long life but i read things i never know what i'm going to read when i go to grief speaks out every day People are murdered, children die. I won't tell you all the horror stories, suicides. I mean, there's there's a lot of pain out there that people have a, a, a hard time acknowledging and taking in. And so to just give a place to people to feel safe, to express their feelings. One of the rules on Grief Speaks Out is you have to share your own experience. You can say anything you want, but you can't give anybody advice or tell them what to do. You just have to say, this is what happened to me, and this is how I handled it. So it's a safe place for people to come to share whatever they want. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I'm glad you, you have that platform for people. I'm curious about your own loss. You mentioned that you had like suicidal thoughts in the beginning. When did that fade away? I'm not somebody that ever walked completely easily on the earth. But I had this weird idea that he would come get me because sometimes when a spouse dies, the other spouse dies very quickly afterwards. I thought I would be one of those people. This is really funny because I got my metaphors mixed up and I would literally go to sleep with my hand up in the air, picturing my husband with angel wings on a swan boat coming to get me and then I thought well I live on the second floor of an apartment building he'd have to go through people's apartments saying excuse me I'm gonna go get my wife etc and so forth and obviously since I'm still here he didn't come get me so then I thought well I'm a good wife whether they'll go is I shall go I need to follow him and then I realized that when somebody dies people that love them grieve and I couldn't I wasn't selfish enough to give that kind of grief to the people in my life. And I also believe that if you're still alive, there's work for you to do. There's a lot of things that happened in the past nine years that I never would have thought I could do or experience. So that's was part of the layering is having honoring the grief, but having learning how to have a life again, learning who I was again. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, well, I'm, I'm glad you got there. I'm curious about, 
like what what have you done with his wedding ring do you still wear oh, your own wedding ring do you still wear it is that was a really you know like or like when did you take it off i'm so curious about that i'm laughing because um i took it off and put it on i bought a black ring to wear instead of it <laughs> for probably three or four years and then i went okay i waited 10 years to get this ring I want to wear it. So I wear his ring and my ring on my right hand instead of my left hand. Oh, that's interesting. That's so cool. That's one of those things that's a personal decision. I know yeah. widows that, like me, that probably will always be widows. I know widows that have fallen in love again and still miss their husbands, but they're very happy in their new marriages. So there's, it, again, it's that everybody has the right to grieve in their own way at their own time. But yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever, t- I think my daughter will take the rings off when I'm dead. So there you go. Oh, that's <laughs> Sorry, good. good to know. My well, daughter. <laughs> and I'm also curious too about, you know, sleeping in, in the bed, like, cause uh, we had a guest previously on and she was talking about how difficult it was. Did you have difficulty sleeping in the bed after he died? No, I was the opposite. One of the things that's good about bereavement groups is you find out that you're not totally crazy. I slept in our bed, but I didn't change the sheets for three months. And then I changed because I thought I was going to get some kind of weird skin disease. So I went to a bereavement group and I met somebody that didn't change the sheets for a year. And then I met somebody who never changed the sheets. She just changed rooms. I did move um, partly because I didn't like California. I'm a New Yorker at heart, but also for me, the house was too quiet without him. I couldn't stand him not being there. I would rather be someplace that he never was than to wake up every morning being surrounded by the fact that he was there, but now he's not. That's interesting. eh? You just need the extra sound and stuff. Was it hard selling the house? Like, was that a difficult decision? I always want, when people ask me, I lived in Carmel, California, which is extremely beautiful but I'm a New Yorker. So I always said that I hope my husband lives forever, but when he dies, I'm gone. <laughs> I, if you pack one, if you pack one box a day, you can pack up everything in a couple of months. But then I felt like I hadn't said goodbye to the house. So when it was empty and it was on the market and I just had a couple of chairs, et cetera, and so forth, I went back and I put tea lights on the floor where his hospital bed, had been and I bought I brought people over and we told Artie stories and then this is a little weird but just in case I missed him somewhere I literally looked in all the closets and cupboards and shelves anywhere I could to make sure that he was nowhere and then I looked in the mirror where he used to get ready every morning to see if his reflection was still there and of course all I could see was myself I did used to have one phone call with a medium who was a friend, so I trusted her per year. And he said the reason I didn't see him was because he was standing right behind me. Mm. So I had this sort of ritual of saying goodbye to the house. And everybody has strict instructions not to tell me any changes anybody has made to it. So in my mind, it's always our place. Wow. That's beautiful. Your your love for him, it it speaks volumes just the way you're, you're talking. And that's beautiful that you had that bond with each other. That's so amazing. Thank you. I I think that's why um, grief is something that 
I need to find a home for and not try and get rid of when I was first told by a therapist that I should stop grieving for my husband in six months to a year. It seemed rather silly. What? Because why would I want to forget (laughs) something that was so beautiful? Because that's the opinion of a lot of people. Part of writing the book was sometimes my editor would say, could you cheer this bit up a bit? And I would say no, because sometimes people are told that they don't have a strong enough faith if they're sad or that they're really stuck if they want to talk about the person that died 10 years or those stupid things like, well, you have other children Mm. or like if somebody has a miscarriage that was they've lost the future with their baby that they wanted and visualized. So that's my whole purpose in, in, in doing this is that is partly just to support people, but the other part is to educate people hmm. to say that if somebody says my mother died 10 years ago, not to say, well, why don't you stop talking about her? But to say, what do you miss about your mom? And then you can hear the stories of all the things the person does that she wishes her mom was there. That's beautiful. That's, I'm, I'm glad. Let's talk about the book. I'm glad you wrote it. What? Why now? It's been nine years since since he's died. Like, what made made you decide to write the book? Like now? They they asked me. I've always <laughs> been somebody who wanted to write a book and never did. And I opened my email one day, and there was an email from a publisher who said we would like you to write a book on grief. And I looked at it and I said to myself, they are handing this to you on a plate. You have to take the next step. Because one of the things about writing the book is, will I find a publisher? I was writing a book with the guarantee that it would be published if they liked it. So that's why now. Um, I'm also good at deadlines. (laughs) So if it's, well, someday I'm going to write a book is different than in two weeks, I want this much done. Mm-hmm. I was scared of it, though. I mean, that's the other thing is the fact that people are finding it really helpful. I'm so glad because I thought, okay, now I've done this. What if it's not good? But <laughs> I'm very, I, I don't even know what the word is. I'm honored that people are buying the book for themselves, but then when they see it, they're buying it for friends. They're buying it for libraries and grief counseling centers. Yeah. So that's my goal is to just say grief day by day, simple practices, et cetera, and so forth by Jan Warner, because there's a book with a similar title. Mm-hmm. And if I can be of help, I do give <laughs> copies away to people in the helping professions and people who come in contact with other people, because that I, people think I, I love humanity because of who I am and what I do. I don't necessarily, but what I hate is suffering. So that I have been able to have a Facebook page and a book that helps people who are suffering is just such a gift to me. Hmm. I'm curious too, like when you were writing the book, did it, was it difficult to go back and try to like see what worked for you and what didn't? Um, Like, did it trigger any kind of emotions? It's difficult. It's not when I was young, I didn't choose this for myself. Grief Speaks Out is hard to to 
have every day be filled with pain and death and try and put out a hand and support people in ways that they'll find helpful. So writing the book was just another piece of that. I was given, I hope I'm going to have to ask if it's okay if I say this, but I was given an outline, but then within the the framework of that outline to find quotes. So the book is divided. It's, there's 52 weeks and each week has a topic. I asked people on Group Speaks Out what topics they would find helpful. So topics range from anger, confusion, almost everything you can think of. And every fifth week is what I call a resting space, beauty, faith, hope. And then the last two weeks are healing with a question mark next to it and acceptance with a question mark next to it. Those question marks are really important. I comment on the quotes and each topic has an exercise. So for me, when my husband died, my attention span died. It's a very good book for just picking up and reading what you feel applies to you at that moment and putting it down again. You can read it from the first page to the last page if you want to. You can do all the exercises, but you can also just do that thing where you open it and go, oh, yeah, that's what I needed to hear today. Mm, I like that. No, my mom uses uh, it's like this Christian daily devotional thing, and she'll just skim through it and then like that day that's what you need to hear and i think it's sort of very similar to that the way you set it up and i think that's really cool and i'd like to go through some of the stuff so for the daily reflections what's what was like one quote that you sort of hung on to while you were grieving that gave you i guess courage or strength when you needed it i'm i'm laughing because it's not one that that's i don't think it's in the book <laughs> it i saw a plaque somewhere i'd say like a couple of weeks after he died and it said have an acceptable day hmm. and i thought i could do that i can't have a good day that's too much pressure <laughs> but i can have an acceptable day so i set myself a chore of the day uh-huh. even now if i can have a day where like people say you shouldn't wallow. I love wallowing. I just don't want to wallow like for the rest of my life. So I'll set the alarm and then I'll try and have an acceptable day. I also really like uh, C.S. Lewis. If I had to pick one book, oddly enough, it wouldn't be mine. It would be C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed because he really describes grieving for his wife in a very special way. Mm. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Um, it's funny how the quote that you, you love the most isn't in the book. <laughs> I think it's kind of right. Funny. I just, uh, when you said that to me, I thought, oh, I have him prepared. I don't, I mean, I have, what's amazing to me is after five years of using a quote every day that I can still find new quotes. There are mm-hmm. quotes that I like, but I also look for new ones. The, the one, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't come off with one, come up with one. Oh, I know. And I, I, I apologize to the author because I can't think of her name. It says, what kind of a wife would be, would I be if I stopped loving your, if I stopped loving my husband just because he's dead? Mm. So there are quotes that have to do with acknowledging that each person is unique in the world. And when they die, there is nobody that can replace them. There are a lot of quotes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the book, my book, because people talk about her stages of grief, 
but she has a lot of quotes talking about how the stages don't come in any particular order and you don't forget somebody that you love and you wouldn't want to. So she's misinterpreted. So I like any quote that acknowledges that you can have hope and light and laughter and it can all ripple through. But like I said, my husband's still dead. We have a joke in our family that people we love that have died, like Artie's been gone for nine years and he hasn't come back once. How rude is that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not so, even a dream? <laughs> yes, in dreams. You do. He does come back in dreams. Okay. And in, I, I, I don't know, I have a seven-year-old granddaughter and we were playing with a, bouncing a really big ball and it was going in really weird directions. And she said, I think Grandpa Artie is playing. So <laughs> I, <laughs> he's around. I, I'm lucky to have friends that don't mind if I say, and Artie said, like one of my friends said, you're so amazing because you keep him alive and so many people feel like they know him even though they never met him. And I said, well, Artie said to tell you, it's not all me. He's very charismatic, and that's why that's happening. <laughs> so I I don't know. Did I make it up? Was it a tap on the head from coming from outside? That's I don't funny. know. But it's great. <laughs> it's great for even just for you to hear that, that people right. are, are feeling his presence through you being you um, and walking your path. I think that's a remarkable statement and a remarkable act of love because people are seeing the love you have for each other through your actions. And I think that's really what it's about. It's about seeing that love and maintaining, you know, that it exists. It still exists. It's, I I was just going to say that's a pass through for a lot of people when they're feeling totally lost and as if they have no purpose anymore is to find something they can do to keep the person they love alive and to honor them. I'm not the only one. There are people that, whose child died of cancer, who do a lot of things for cancer awareness. Mm -hmm. There are people who somebody committed suicide and they go into schools and they talk about bullying. So Mm -hmm. helping people takes you out of yourself. So it's a great way to deal with grief is to say, okay, here's this person I love. I'm not going to forget them, but you know what? I'm not going to let you forget them either. This Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to do. This is the mon- the monument I'm going to build to them, maybe a physical one, but it's also going to be how I speak and what my actions are. That's beautiful. And so I'm 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 looking at this weekly themes uh, thing about your your book. Did you? Uh, it says like a bunch of things, um, but one of them is things left unsaid. And did you have anything left unsaid before he died? No, I, for me, it would be more things left unheard Hmm. because I find that sometimes I understand what he was trying to say way after that, after he died, I was lucky. I wasn't lucky that he was dying, but I was lucky that I got to spend his dying time with him. Hmm. And he was a really proud peacock of a man who, if I had anything to discuss, would say, I'm a perfect husband. Just be grateful. (laughs) But when he was dying, yeah, (laughs) you're getting a picture. Um, When he was dying, he said, I'm sorry for all the ways in which I failed you. And I said, I am too. I'm sorry for all the ways in which I failed you. So we got to talk about anything that we had left to say, which is a gift because people who have people walk out and get murdered or 
are in an accident or have a heart attack, et cetera, and so forth, don't get that chance that I had to just discuss a whole bunch of things with him and, 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 and him with me. But a lot of people feel guilty about not having said certain things, or especially if somebody dies and you're not on good terms with them. So you can still talk to them. You can write letters. There are different things that you can do, but it's not the same as having had said it, which is why I make a point whenever I leave people I care about to tell them that I love them. Mm. I hope I don't think it's going to be the last time I see them, but just in case, I want them to know. That's nice. No, I think it's it's great. Um, I know definitely I take life for granted, even though I've had death and stuff. But it there are certain times where I'm like, you know what, this may I should say, you know, how much I care about this person, just because I know that anything could happen in the future. And it's good to have that. I don't need to say it every day, you know, like to my mom, I don't right. say it every day, but you know, I try to say it every couple months. And then if she does die, I can look back and say, at least she knew, you know, at least she knew that, you right. know, that she was loved. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think it's great. And it's great that you're doing that and it's changed your behavior a lot on how you approach life. And I remember you mentioned earlier in the interview that the death has brought a lot of new things your way. Besides mm-hmm. the book, so what else? Like what? What other things new um, have you have you done? I guess because of, I guess the. Uh, well, I'm, I I just I'm going to go back just so I don't come off sounding not like me. I also curse at people a lot. I, that's why I live in New York City because you can say really rude things to strangers and they don't care. <laughs> I don't want somebody to listen to that and say, "Well, you were just pretending to be nice and you're not all the time." <laughs> the, well, the, the the most amazing thing is is my granddaughter. I never, if I had killed myself, I never would have met her. Mm. And when my daughter was pregnant, I really wasn't sure if I could love another human being. And uh, I just adore my granddaughter. We have such a special relationship. So that's something that I would have missed. But then the fact that I have new friends. I never thought that I would produce a documentary film or an off-Broadway play. I have been to North Korea. I've done a lot of interesting traveling. So I've had so many adventures that I would say the first six months, I basically spent most of my time in bed watching DVDs. And occasionally I had a rule. I could only stay in bed one day in a row. So I would go out, but it would only be about five minutes. So it, at the beginning, the idea that I would have, oh, I, I have Grease Speaks Out, I wrote a book, I I never had any concept that I could accomplish anything. I really thought at the beginning that I was totally broken and that I would just, not that there's anything wrong with binge watching TV and eating. I Sometimes somebody will ask me if something is normal. And I'm always laughing because I'm usually in my pajamas at noon (laughs) and wondering why are they asking me what's normal? And of course, at this point, what I ask myself isn't if it's normal, it's does it serve the kind of life I want to have? And then Mm -hmm. if it doesn't, can I change it? Or is it just the way I am and I have to accept it? Mm. That's nice. You've learned a lot of lessons along the way and you... You're helping, you know, people normalize their own behaviors, which is, which is great. But yeah, like when you're in that, that intense grief and sorrow, you feel like this is always going to be like this. But the reality is, it's, it's probably not, you know, like, 
the once you feel if you're allowing yourself to feel the loss it can it does its own work almost and then things will change um as time goes on but like as you said you still honor them you still feel your you feel what what's right in your life and if you want to make small changes like you know not spend a whole week in bed watching tv you know just put a day in there where you can't you know and just make these small changes to see where you end up that's cool and sometimes you've already made changes and you just don't recognize it yet i had lunch with somebody whose husband had died and told me that she was sad all the time and she laughed a lot during the lunch she was a very funny person it was the first time i had met her and at the end of lunch i said you said you're a sad person but you laugh a lot and she said no i'm a sad person so part of it is being able to acknowledge because some people feel guilty if they start to have a good time like they're not somehow grieving properly is to notice the change when they happen and redefine who you are which isn't always easy so it's okay. I mean, that's the thing. It's okay to be wherever you are. Yeah. You have to sort of look around and go, this I can change, this I can't. But it does help to know. There's something called, I label the fifth year blues, because to miss somebody every day over a long period of time is exhausting. Mm-hmm. So not to be too hard on yourself when you're feeling really, well, both ways, not to be too hard on yourself when you're feeling really good and then all of a sudden you feel awful again, but also not to be hard on yourself when you're feeling awful and you start to feel good. That's good. Yeah, I like that. And it's almost like, as you're saying, um, you almost have to redefine what love is because sometimes say, people get caught up in thinking sadness is love. And there's all, you know, you can be happy in love too. And it's just, it's interesting where, like how people attach ideas to emotions. And so they portray a certain emotion thinking that's honoring the, their loved one the most um, and honoring the love the most. And it's just like, it's just, you know, human behavior is fascinating. And so it's, it's cool how right. said, there's so many different ways people uh, can show their love. And said sadness is one of them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's into being authentic. So people that stick by me are going to see me if I show up and I'm grouchy. I'm not going to pretend I'm happy. I'm going to say I'm really grouchy, but then I'll change because I'm in a different circumstance. And if I'm sad, I'm going to say I'm really sad today because of whatever. I prefer that to this kind of, there are negative and positive emotions. They're all just emotions. We're given a full component of emotions for a reason. So acknowledge it, and then decide what you're going to do about it. Even the Dalai Lama says he gets angry. He doesn't hate because that would be holding on to anger, but he gets angry. So if the Dalai Lama can get angry, I can certainly get angry. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't want to be better than the Dalai Lama. That would be ridiculous. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. And so uh, just... uh, the last thing in your book, it was about these healing exercises, I think, which is a great idea. What's one healing exercise that you did that's in the book? The best exercise for me is the one about memory, because the worst thing that grief can do is steal our memories. A lot of people will say, I can't think about things that I did with my loved one because it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. So there's a, an exercise that I have made up some of the exercises in the book. I didn't make this up. It's one that they use with soldiers that have PTSD, and it works. It's called rolling your memories backwards. 
so you can do it with somebody else or by yourself. You just get in a comfortable position and you can play music and you have to go back in time to when the memory actually happened and try and totally experience it. So what am I doing? What am I smelling? What am I feeling? What am I tasting? How And whenever you get a good warm feeling of that memory, you make it as real as possible. And then when you come back into present time, you take the good feelings with you. For example, my husband and I, I'm not very coordinated. He was. We used to do something called thug dancing, and he would sing as time goes by to me. I was in a restaurant and somebody was playing as time goes by and I just felt like really sad and he's not going to ever sing it to me. We're never going to dance again. And then I went, wait a minute. I really love that memory. Let me go back in time. So eventually I made it my ringtone because you go back in time because when you're having the experience, you don't know the person that you're going to love is going to be die, is going to be killed or die in a horrible circumstance. You just feel happy. So that's, to me, the most important thing. I'm rambling on a bit, but it's reclaiming your memories. Wow. Uh, I want my husband's, one of the most important things, and it took me about four or five years to realize this, my husband's life and our life together should matter more than his death. His death is sad, but there's so much happiness that I was lucky enough to have a love like that and to continue to feel loved. It would be unfair, disrespectful, to only remember how sad I am now without remembering and being grateful for all the lovely moments that we had together that not everybody's given. Not everybody gets to be loved and love in return. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's a really interesting exercise. And I'm, it was 51 more in there. So that's really cool. So hopefully people, if they are grieving or know someone who's grieving, it could be a great book to give them um, this holiday season. Thank you. Yes, uh, holidays. When you when you when you're about to say happy something to somebody, just give a thought if it really is happy for them, because holidays are a time when grief intensifies for a lot of people, mm-hmm. because that what they call the empty chair. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. somebody not being there seems bigger than everybody that is there. So unfortunately, because people say that they need the book, and I always wish nobody ever needed it but it is a good gift to give somebody because you don't know what to say or you just know that they need some kind of support either through the holidays a birthday or just every second of Mm -hmm. every day amazing that's amazing so um as we wrap up i always like to ask about grief dreams so we're gonna change there so have you ever had a dream of your husband my my best dream was the waking up was terrible. It was when he first died, and it was so vivid. I dreamt that I was crying, and he said, what's the matter? And I said, I thought you were dead. I thought you had cancer and you died. And he said, oh, you're such a silly girl. Of course I didn't die. I'm right here. And I snuggled into him. And then I woke up, and he really was dead. So sometimes I recreate that dream. I will just, as a matter of fact, my granddaughter said that to me. She said, you miss Grandpa Artie a lot, don't you? And I said, yes. And she said, maybe you can be with him in your imagination, and that will make you feel better. 
So sometimes I'll go to sleep imagining that he's holding me. Oh. Um, the dreams I don't like is I have searching, what, what I call searching dreams. Gore Vidal called them frustration dreams, where I look for him everywhere and I can't find him. Or I do find him and he doesn't remember me or he doesn't want to be with me. Those dreams I feel are that. That's why acceptance has a question mark next to it. I'm not delusional. I know my husband's been dead for nine years. But there's part of my psyche they can't accept it. So when I search for him and I can't find him, it's my mind saying, you know, he's really dead. You're not going to be able to find him. He can't, he can't come back. A lot of grieving people, that's what we say is, I know you can't come back, but please come back. <laughs> um, but I like, I, I, I do know about lucid dreaming. So if I'm having a really bad dream, I can wake myself up from it. And I do, I should do it more is listen to their apps and things on YouTube and the CDs. If anybody out there ever buys CDs anymore, <laughs> that help you have good dreams and help you deal with panic, et cetera, and so forth. I miss that when he was alive, when I was having a bad dream, he would either wake me up or I would wake myself up. So now I have, to, I comfort myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, but I do, I do try and have the dreams. I like dreams where we're just sort of having a good time together. Yeah, like that's it's like that memory at that moment where you get to see them one more time and feel that love, especially the one who's just holding on to you. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, and it's good to know that you understand those other dreams because <laughs> some people can put um, different reasonings to it that can complicate grief. And so it's good that you understand that it's, you know, it's, it's part of your grief journey, part of your longing uh, for him. Yeah, I always look at dreams or not, even nightmares as my subconscious mind is trying to tell me something mm. and I have to figure out what it is and they're not real. I had a friend whose husband dreamed she was having an affair and was really angry at her. And she said, that's not fair because I'm not having an affair and it was a dream. And so why are you angry at me? So yeah, it's, it's, I don't like having bad dreams. And then I get into this, like not sleeping well and staying up all night and sleep. So that's, that's when, whatever you choose to do, listening to a med meditation tape or hypnosis mm -hmm. tape or some kind of app helps because it it's exhausting if you're up all night and then you have to function in the daytime. So. Yeah. It's, it's... Or lucid dreaming to read more about how to be active in your dreams. So if something bad or frightening has happened, my daughter used to have bad dreams when she was little and we used to, I told her to turn the monsters into flying peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So... <laughs> I would have said you. I guess that's but... my <laughs> ultimate advice. Just turn all the bad things into flying peanut butter and jelly sandwiches unless you have a nut allergy. In that case, don't do that. <laughs> that's just not the name. That's I'm funny. sorry. <laughs> From the sublime to the ridiculous always. <laughs> hey, it's a dream world. Anything's possible. So um, I think it's it's amazing. It's amazing that, you know, you've uh, you had these dreams and you're talking about them because there's just so many different varieties of them. It's just good to sort of bring it all to awareness because it's something that doesn't really get talked about a lot. Did you ever mention uh, grief dreams in your book at all? I don't know. That's not a good answer, but I actually <laughs> don't know. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's a topic. It would have been a very good topic. Uh, so if I ever write a sequel, I would definitely make that a topic. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of people don't know and they don't, they don't know the, how many people 
like actually have these dreams and i wouldn't doubt it's it's over 75 percent of people after loss will have one of these dreams at some point and uh and so like it's just you know like with the research i'm doing i was shocked to realize how common these experiences are at all forms of loss and it's just like this is why we have the podcast is try to normalize it like you're trying to do with the uh just grief itself and it's just like another aspect of grief that you're just trying to shine light on and say hey like is this going on because a lot of these negative dreams especially like the ones you've had people people really become disturbed from those dreams and it affects their sleep which then affects their their grief because they can't process things that they normally would so yeah if uh if you do a sequel that'd be great <laughs> <coughs> if not that's fine it's awesome. just these conversations are you know what makes it meaningful to me because now i think you're you're seeing it a little more in a different light than you once did Yes, and also you, you used the word normalize a couple of times. I think that all these feelings, dreams included, and actions are normal, hmm. even if they seem strange. It's society that has to be educated not to say that they're not. Hmm. The symptoms, for example, grief is not depression. It can cause depression. Yeah. Grief is not panic attacks. It can cause panic attacks. Grief dreams can indicate A or B or C, but the reassurance comes from knowing that no matter what I'm doing, I'm trying to bear the unbearable cope with what I can't cope with. And so unless I'm actively hurting myself or hurting somebody else, it's normal. Just wake up, you know, suck it up, buttercup society. Is that okay? I don't know if that crossed the line. But it's just really have empathy for people that are having emotions that are not comfortable for you. Don't make, don't try and fix them and put them in your box of what normal is because I think there's, in the entire world, there's maybe like three really normal people. All the rest of us are just doing the best we can. Yeah, you know, it's true. And I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's common. Just you have to educate people. It's common. Like it's, it's right. you know, and that's the thing. That's why people, when they search you or they, they see, or they read the book, they feel, oh, what I'm doing is common because no one else around them is talking about their, their grief or their experiences. So they're really left to what they see on TV or what they maybe read in the media. So it's nice how you're educating people on, you know, what, what occurs during grief. Because until it happens, you don't really know what to expect. It's not something you just go into for the fun of it. You know, like it's once you get right. into it, that's when you start searching about it. So I think it's great. It's it's a great what you're doing. And just as a last question as we wrap up, is what dream would you want to have tonight if you could of Artie? Hmm. <laughs> you know what? Because I talked about thug dancing. I would love for us to dance together and have me be able to dance as well, so that we would he would he he would have a, a young and healthy body, and I would have a body that's coordinated, and we could do some kind of ballroom dancing. I've forgotten the name of the the one that I love, but some kind of just amazing dance together that would be really fun for us. Would you want to be on like a TV show, like Dancing with the Stars together? Or would this just be like a private kind of venue that you're dancing in? It would just be private. It would be someplace maybe really pretty. And do you want costumes on or just regular clothes? 
Oh, I think we should definitely wear costumes. <laughs> I like that. I can hear him growling because we used to. We used to, before we went to sleep. We used to say, I, I said, where do you want to go while you're sleeping? And he would go, I don't want to go anywhere. And I would say, Artie, you're sleeping. You don't actually have to go anywhere. This is imagination. <laughs> so we invented places like Monkey Island and Hermit Island and Puppy and dancing. So we had these different places that we went when we were asleep. And we would perform in clubs and wear costumes and do all different kinds of, have all different kinds of adventures. That was okay because you didn't actually have to physically do them. Right. Because <laughs> in your dreams, you, I could be like a, I could be a, um, an Olympic ice skater. I could never mm -hmm. be an Olympic ice skater in real life. No, that's right. Anything's possible in your imagination, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Beautiful. This was a great conversation, and I learned a lot about you know Artie and you know, his life and his sacrifice and what he went through um, to find love and to find you and to have. The, uh, the unique relationship with you, with the love and the swearing. But swearing, you know, my grandma says swearing is just another form of love. So, <laughs> so I'm really well, happy. You know, yeah. can I do, it kind yeah. of is in the sense of what I didn't get so much when he was alive was that to have somebody love you at your best is really easy. But when you find two people that love each other or more than two people, at their very worst. So like when you're swearing and I don't know, you're, you haven't brushed your hair in three days or you can't move and you don't want to do anything and you're loved anyway and you're secure in that love, that's the best kind of love at all. Because it's point. you, they're loving like the real you with no mask on at all. Yeah. Wow. I like that. No, that's good. It's really good. So thank you for coming on and sharing with some you're wisdom. Welcome. And so where can people find your your book that's out there and anything other handles or stuff for social media that you have? Well, my Facebook page is called Grease Speaks Out and it's www.facebook.com slash Grease Speaks Out. My you, blog gonna, is I not, I don't write on it anymore. It's www grievespeaksout.net and for some weird reason if you don't put the www in you won't get it the book grief day by day by jan warner is available at amazon in the united states united kingdom australia and canada it's available in selected barnes and noble stores and it's available on barnesandnoble.com and if you find me by going to Grease Speaks Out and you message me and you have any problem getting the book, um, let me know and I'll try and get it to a library or someplace near you. That's beautiful. And I want to mention too, on your Facebook page, you have a little, you do, you ask like questions and then you also post quotes and stuff. So it's very interactive, which I like. Seven posts every day um, <laughs> for five years from somebody who doesn't follow through with things but the fact that somebody in india or south africa has a cup of coffee and is waiting to see what i'm writing is just so amazing but it also gives me a sense of responsibility and that asking questions and having people answer them is very important because i have been told that a lot of support pages don't interact that personally 
but I'm there. It's not my page. It belongs to the people that come to it. So to answer their questions, but also when somebody has a question, for them to see that I have no control over how many people answer it, but between 10 and 30 or more people feel the same way, I think is one of the most helpful things about the page. And that also that um, a woman whose daughter was murdered said that she was international now because she had a friend in Australia and a friend in <laughs> Liberia. So for, for people to see that no matter what religion or culture, even Democrats and Republicans, grief is a common language. Yeah, it truly is. And no one cares about anything else other than like your own loss and, and, and what you've been through. I'm, I'm also right. curious, when are you going to start an Instagram account? Because that's where the young people are at these days. <laughs> <laughs> you already got the posts. All you have to do is transfer them to Instagram. <laughs> Message taken. Um, I, I, I do have friends. I, my, my youngest, no, that's not true. My youngest friend is now 18. But my youngest friend that I've had for a long time is 28. And she says she can't keep up with the technology that the young people are using. So if a 28-year-old can't keep up with what's my chance, but I should do Instagram. I do have a Twitter account, but I don't do it because just doing Facebook takes up so much time. Because my personal Facebook page is, is different than Grace Peaks out. It's very snarky and um, opinionated. Uh, I bring my be better self to Grace Speaks Out. So, yeah, okay, I'd message <laughs> taken. Because right, Instagram contacts me and asks me to, to come aboard. Yeah, and at, so. at the end of the day, it's just another way people are searching to find help. And, right. You know, and you know, the audience of Facebook, it is dwindling. Um, and a lot of the younger generation are because it's dwindling from the younger generation because people don't want to. So I hear people don't want to be on the same platform as their parents <laughs> with their parents oh, to follow them. <laughs> yeah, so it's, that's why Instagram is good, right? So <laughs> this really has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But my my granddaughter's kindergarten teacher likes really radical things with four letter words on my personal page, hmm. and I had a moment of but it's her kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I just had to let it go. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, okay, Instagram, Instagram. Try it out. <laughs> Instagram, here I come. You think they're ready for me? <laughs> they must be. They must be. <laughs> Time is okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing more of your posts and seeing, on, seeing you on Instagram. Thank I'll be, you your, very I'll be much. your first follower. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you. Yes, I need followers. Otherwise, you feel it kind of weird. So, um, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you do and for doing the podcast and for inviting me and listening to me for all this time. <laughs> it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. <laughs> Good. All right. To wrap up with our stuff, please visit griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you want to learn more about grief dreams, we have common questions asked on there. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group and you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you can check out a uh, book that's out, Dreaming of Owl, uh, that's on Amazon ebook uh, that I wrote for, for children who are dealing with grief and loss in these dreams. So at the end of the day, we'd like to end the show with love and gratitude from us to you.
I have enjoyed this conversation in English. Have questions? I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.